0: Well, this being the first Sunday of the month of August, it's hard to believe it's August already, although the temperature outside seems to give us uh, that impression, Uh, we get to uh, do something very special. Uh, We get to celebrate uh, and partake of the Lord's table uh, together this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open with me to Acts chapter 2. And I just want to read a single verse there in, in Acts chapter 2. And this is coming uh, on the heels uh, immediately after the Apostle Peter's sermon at the temple. Uh, and this is uh, in the days that followed his sermon. This is what those brand new believers began to do. It says, and they devoted themselves... To the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers so it 's amazing uh, just how simple the early church was and what they they focused on and it 's likely that when it says that they devoted themselves. To the breaking of bread, it is pointing to the Lord's table and probably a common meal that they would have shared either before partaking of the Lord's table or after. But it's interesting to, to note that, that why were they partaking of the Lord's table regularly? Why were they breaking bread together on a regular basis? And, well, it is because... Uh, a celebration of the Lord's table, partaking of communion together as a church body is one of the ways that uh, the Lord sanctifies us and encourages us and, and brings blessing into our life. And uh, the way that it does that is th- the picture of christ on the cross is is brought before us every single time we partake of the lord's table every time we we celebrate this we are remembering what christ has done right Uh, his body represented by the bread was broken was crucified on our behalf his blood represented by the cup was shed for us his blood was purchased our forgiveness. His blood paid the penalty for our sins that we owed to a holy God. And when we partake of the the table together, we remember what Jesus has done, and we look forward to his return. And we also celebrate our fellowship together, our communion, our community of believers. It's what we look to and celebrate each time we we come together and partake of these elements, and it is a, a reminder for us to pursue and preserve unity in our church body. Again, it's, a, it's a blessing to be able to celebrate this in person, right? I don't think you, you can celebrate communion via, via live stream. It's, it's hard, it's hard to, to celebrate our oneness while we're all scattered, right? Uh, but, but today we get to partake of communion together. Uh, and b- because of coronavirus, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning. We're not going to be passing uh, plates. Uh, but uh, we, we're going to, in, in a moment, ask uh, those who have uh, placed their faith and trust in Christ and have been baptized as a demonstration or a, an outward expression of their faith. Those who have believed and been baptized, we they, they will prompt you to, to go to the, one of the side tables where you can pick up uh, the, the cup and the, the bread, and then you can return to your seat, and we'll wait, and we'll partake of uh, the elements together. And uh, while that is taking place, uh, Natasha is going to be just playing some some chords for us, but I, but I would urge you and ask you to allow this to be a time of reflection. And every single time we, we celebrate this, uh, we're, we're looking to the cross, that what Christ has accomplished we're looking to our unity as a, a body of believers, uh, and this is a, a great time to to keep our accounts short. that if we have some unconfessed sin before the Lord, this is, this is the time to to confess it and to forsake it uh, and, and to to seek Christ once more. If, if that there's a, an an unresolved conflict that you have. This is the time to confess that as well and to pursue uh, reconciliation with somebody. There's been many a time when uh, I've been sitting in church and my wife and I have had to had a a quick sidebar discussion uh, before we partook of communion because we had had conflict that week or even that morning, believe it or not, right? I'm sure that's all a shock to you guys. You guys never argue on the way out the door on Sunday mornings. but but just that reality that every time we, we come and partake of the Lord's table, it is a reminder of who we are united with in Christ and that we are all members and united with one another because we're all united to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask those of you again who have believed and been baptized that at this time you may you may stand and kind of in an orderly uh fashion uh go and uh pick up the communion elements but also as you return to your seat reflect upon the truth of the gospel and your relationships and keep short account with the lord and with others at this point in time and then we'll partake of the elements together in a few minutes As we prepare our hearts to, to partake of these elements, we we'll just call your attention to the last night that, that Jesus spent with his disciples. This is what he said to them as he gave them these instructions re- regarding what we are about to partake of mark chapter 14 verse 22 says and and as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to them and said take this is my body and as we partake of this there's nothing magical or mystical about partaking of these communion elements but it is a reminder. It, it calls us to, to take our, our thoughts off of our, our earthly concerns and, and to focus them upon Christ, who he is and what he has done. And so as we partake of the bread together, let us remember the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. And Jesus continued with his disciples. It says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What a precious truth that is, that that Jesus longs to partake of this with us, and that when we are with him in heaven, we will get to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is just a small foretaste of that, when we will be with him and rejoice in the fullness of our salvation as we enter into the kingdom of God. But for right now, this is a reminder of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Let's partake and remember right now. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, how precious to us is the truth of the gospel that you have sent your Son to be broken, to be bloodied, to be crucified to receive your wrath in our place so that if we trust in him rather than in ourselves, that we would be rescued, reconciled, and redeemed, that we would be adopted into your family. Father, how precious are these truths and how precious is it that you have acted to save us even when we were in rebellion against you. So we gather to, to worship You, to celebrate all that Your Son has done on our behalf and to look forward to His return, to, to worship Him by the celebration of this table, by the study of Your Word, by singing, by, by giving, and by, by fellowship. And Lord, we, we long to grow closer to you. We long to to grow in Christ-likeness. We pray that you would continue to work in us and through us, and that you would bless our time now as we continue to worship you. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your Son, and it is in his holy name that we lift up these prayers and petitions to you. Amen. well it's always a you know, a special time to to be able to celebrate that I know how i how I missed it uh, when we were in the midst of the live stream portion of the the coronavirus and it's good to uh to be with you here this morning, even though it is warm uh, we we get to to be together to sing to open god's word uh, and I wanted to begin this morning just by, by reading two verses, Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven. It says, "Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in Thanksgiving." Now, when I was a, a college student, I was a, a brand new believer. I was out in, in New Mexico, and it had been about a, a year since I uh, had, had come to faith in Christ. And, and I came across these two verses in Colossians. And those two verses—it's amazing how t- two, two small sentences can have such a profound impact on your life. And as I said, I had understood that the good news about Jesus— that that he had come to to live and die for sinners, and that I could be forgiven and reconciled to to God if I trusted in Christ rather than in myself for my salvation. And, And I would be forgiven for all of my sins, past, present, and future, known and unknown. And so I had received Christ as Lord and Savior, and and then I came to these verses, and then these verses just kind of blew my mind because it, it presented something to me that was altogether different than what I was actually living at the time. Because uh, in those two verses, something very simple and very profound is, is said to us, right? As you have received Christ, as you have placed your faith, and as you've placed your trust in Him, that's not the end, there's something more than just receiving and trusting in Christ. And I was kind of like, well, wait a second. Well, what else is there? And as it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And why that was so profound to me as a young college student is uh, I, I, just, I, I saw that and I read that and then I said, well, I've done one, but I haven't done the other. I've received Christ, but I am not walking in him. I've received Christ, but I'm still walking in Thomas. I'm still doing my own thing, going my own way. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I was beginning to wrestle with the reality of Christian discipleship. The call to believe the message of the gospel is the call to be a disciple of Christ and to follow him. As a Christian, Christ places a call upon each of our lives to follow him, to walk after him, to obey him. And that is the call to be one of his disciples. And I would bet there, there are many here who had a, a similar experience in, in their own walk with Christ. That there was maybe a time when you realized of, hey, I'm, I've re- prayed the prayer, I've received Christ, but I'm not yielding to him on a regular basis. I'm still doing my own thing. Some of you may be in that phase even right now where you have received Christ, but you are not walking in him. And it's amazing because even as we, as we go on in the Christian faith, suddenly those areas that we've kind of compartmentalized, uh, that, that attic or that basement that we've kind of locked away and said, Jesus, don't go in there. And, and that over time in the Christian faith, what happens? Jesus goes in there. He opens that door and says, hey, what's in here? Let's take it all out and deal with it. He calls us to begin to walk in Him in every aspect of our lives. We can't compartmentalize everything. All of our life is to be given to all of Christ. If you turn with me over to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10. We'll see that this call to discipleship is a serious one. It's a serious call, and we're going we're gonna to read these verses. But here's something that we have to understand. That discipleship is at the heart of the gospel. And discipleship is at the heart of the church's ministry. And that's the big picture of where we're going this morning. That, that discipleship is... is the big focus of the Christian life. Look at me at verses 34 to 39 in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has some strong words. He says, "'Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household.'" And whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's an, that's an amazing paragraph there, isn't it? See, what our affection is to be for Christ, that that we love him, and by comparison, all of our other loves look like hatred. We are called to love Christ more than anything and everything else in this life, and that is the cost of discipleship. But What's amazing is that Jesus says that here, and it seems like the the cost of discipleship is so heavy and so burdensome. And yet if you just flip the page over to Matthew chapter 11, see another paragraph where, where Jesus speaks of discipleship and what he is calling us to. And we begin to see that even though That There is a a burden, there is a cost to our discipleship. The cost of following Jesus is still a lighter burden than our sin. As heavy a cost as it is to follow Christ, it's still lighter than walking our own way and carrying all of our sin and all of its consequences. And it's still a lighter burden than trying to save ourselves. Jesus is going to to speak these words that we're about to read to people who were burdened and layered heavily with this idea of a works-based salvation that was taught to them by the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. But then Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, so as, as high as the call of discipleship is, it is still best it is still wisest because, again, that's still the best way to lighten the load of life. That we come to Christ and we follow Him. He carries our sin, and we carry His cross. His yoke is still far less burdensome than anything else. So Jesus makes those calls for people to follow Him, and then what's what's remarkable. So at the very end of his gospel, if you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28, his final words to the 11 disciples, he says this, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives this this high cost of discipleship. And then what does he tell his disciples? Go proclaim that. Go make more disciples. So it's very clear that as disciples of Jesus, our mission is to make more disciples of Jesus. And that, that is the calling that we have. That is the, the heart of what we as Christians and what we as a church are supposed to do. But then how do we go about doing that? How do we go about and, and make disciples? How do we in obedience to what Christ has commanded go forth and proclaim all that he has taught us to observe? Now, before we we look at the the, the how, I want to state this foundational tenet in this way, that discipleship is the methodology of the church. Discipleship is the methodology of the church. It is what we are called to focus on and to be about. It is the main thing. And as I said last week when we talked about evangelism, uh, discipleship and evangelism are inseparable. They, They are one and the same because it begins with evangelism and it carries on towards discipleship. Uh, and a disciple is simply someone who is a learner, a follower. And it implies uh, that you are connecting yourself to, uh, to some type of teacher you know, that you are following after. Now, And in this passage in, in Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, which is known as the Great Commission, there's really one overarching command. Uh, and that command is to make disciples. Uh, and then there's there, there's three other statements, three participles in the Greek, and that explains how we go about fulfilling that big command. So the big command is make disciples. Well, how do we do that? Jesus has outlined the method. Number one, going, number two, baptizing, and number three, teaching. That that is the, the method that Jesus has commanded. And uh, it's not flashy. Right? There's no fog machine there. No, there's no strobe lights. Uh, and it, it's, it's really simple. And what's amazing is people all across the earth, all across time and space and cultures, every single person who's ever come to faith in Jesus is able to do that. That's why Jesus didn't include the, the smoke machines and the, the strobe lights. That the Discipleship is basic. It's not flashy, but it is what is best, wisest, and ultimately what will bear the best and longest lasting fruit, i.e. eternal fruit. As we look at just this method of discipleship, going, baptizing, and, and teaching, the, the first two steps are really simple, right? Go. It's kind of self-explanatory, right? You don't, don't stay here. What are we supposed to do? Go. And the reason he he makes that difference is because in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to say, hey, nations, come. Come and see how we're different. To the point of even uh, as the nations would would come through the land of Israel, that the Israelites weren't even supposed to to mix cloths. And, And they're supposed to have all of these distinctions so that when the nations came through, they say, hey, you're different. Tell me about that. Uh, And Israel never really succeeded in that. As close as they got was under King Solomon. And what famous queen came to see Solomon and all of his splendor? Queen of Sheba. And that was what Israel was intended to do. They were supposed to be a come and see. But the church isn't a come and see. What are we? We are a a go and tell. We are supposed to go and scatter to be missionaries and evangelists. We are commanded to go, and then we are commanded to baptize. As people receive Christ, as we go and we teach the gospel with an aim to persuade and, and then leave the results to God, as we do that, people are going to come to faith. And then what do we do? We baptize them because that's the, 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 the entry point into the Christian life. That when someone is baptized, they are identifying with who Jesus is and what he has done and baptism, again, is one of the two ordinances. We celebrated the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the the other ordinance that is given to the church to help mark out who's in the church and who's not. Uh, and baptism is, is walking through the, the door of the Christian house, and then the Lord's table is the family meal. Uh, and, and so we, it's important to, to see and understand that as we, we baptize people, we're identifying them with the triune God who has worked to save them. But then the, the most Difficult part of this method that that Jesus has given to us is the teaching part. Right? How do we do that? What do we teach them? Well, we teach them all that Jesus has commanded. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't just say, teach them everything and make sure that they know it for the quiz. There'll be a quiz to get into heaven. It's a pass or fail. Really simple. That's not what Jesus says. It says, teach them to observe. The NASB says, obey. And that that again changes our understanding of what discipleship is, right? It's a lot more than just the the transfer of information or the the regurgitation of of facts and ideas. That, That as we go and make disciples, we are teaching them to obey, to submit all of their life to all of Christ to understand knowledge, and then to apply knowledge. I recently read uh, a a book entitled Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. It's kind of his own autobiography. And and Booker T. Washington was the the founder of the Tuskegee Institute. So so after the the end of the Civil War, the South was in this period of reconstruction. The nation is kind of like, what do we do? with all of these former slaves. And Booker T. Washington had a desire to start an institute to educate the former slaves. And Washington was deeply saddened not only by the lack of education among the former slaves at that time, but also he was concerned with their attitude toward education. This is uh, from his, his book. He says that the students who first came to his institute seemed to be fond of memorizing long and complicated rules in grammar and mathematics, but had little thought or knowledge of applying these rules to their everyday affairs of their life. One subject which they liked to, to talk about and tell me that they had mastered in arithmetic was banking and accounting. But I soon found out that neither they nor almost anyone in the neighborhood which they had lived had ever had a bank account. So they they loved the the idea, but but they had no practical experience. He was also grieved by the, the lack of practical life understanding among the former slaves, that they were prioritizing the wrong things in life. And he said this, because in fact one of the saddest things I saw during a month of, of travel in the, the area was a young man who had attended some high school, sitting down in a one-room cabin, said, with grease on his clothing, filth all around him, and weeds in the yard and garden, engaged in studying a French grammar. And the idea that, that Booker T. Washington is presenting is, that's of no really practical help or assistance to this young man. He needs to learn how to conduct himself wisely, first and foremost in life, French grammar is not going to help him. What's amazing is the, these same attitudes are often seen among Christians. And at times we are passionate about learning head knowledge and dispassionate about applying that knowledge to our hearts and to our minds, to our lives. I've encountered many Christians who can ace theology exams yet they don't know how to apply any of that knowledge to their everyday life in their home and in their relationships. They can explain the Trinity, but they don't know how to confess and forsake sin. They can speak about the, the deity of Christ, but they don't know how to shepherd the hearts of their children. Because discipleship is the methodology of the church, What we're seeking more than just the transference of information. We are are going for more than just professions of faith. Christ commands us to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Not just teach this information. We are called to say, here's this information, and now here is how you live in response to it. This is all that Jesus has done for you, and this is why it matters. This is how it should change the way that you speak to your wife. This is how it should change the way you spend your time. This is how it should change what you watch and what you listen to, what you do in the morning, what you do in the evening. There are so many implications of the gospel, and what was fascinating as I was reading Booker T. Washington's book, is he really ended up just discipling the former slaves. Not just in, in book learning, but just in life. Is this is how you conduct yourself. This is what you focus on. Ended up uh, that there was, at, at that point in time, and, and a view of labor, that, that labor was, was bad. And so the, the whole goal of the, the former slaves was to, to get educated so that they can try and become uh, something other than what they had been doing. But Booker T. Washington says, no, you, you still need some life skills. You still need to, to understand how to make a living and how to uh, earn a, a living, how to uh, do a trade. And so, and so he ended up discipling them in far more than just book learning. And every single person at his institute worked. And that life-on-life life discipleship transformed all those who went to the Tuskegee Institute. And that is what, that's the type of discipleship that should be taking place in the church. Life-on-life. Life. That's what must be the methodology of the church, discipleship. The, the call for every Christian to be discipled and then for every Christian to be discipling others. You ever think about that? And, and that commission that we all have to both be a disciple and a disciple maker is part of how we grow. I love what Pastor Mark Dever says that your discipleship of others is a part of your discipleship. That's a part of you learning and becoming more Christ like as you have to pour into others. Because what's amazing is as you teach others to to obey everything that Jesus commands, you're going to encounter areas That you're not doing so well, right? And that's deeply convicting. And then what do you realize that you have to work on? Those areas. Like, how, how can I teach this and call others to this if I'm not doing it myself? So you begin to be transformed even as you disciple others. But there's some key questions to ask in this. If every Christian is to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker, who's discipling you? And who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? How are you growing spiritually? And how are you helping others to grow spiritually? And then also, are you just learning? Or are you seeking to learn and apply? To to learn and obey all that Jesus has commanded. That is the call to discipleship. And again, it's not flashy. But our focus, our methodology of the church is discipleship this is what the church uh does but if discipleship is going to be our our passion and our passion and our focus as it should be we we have to keep in front of us at all times the why okay because we don't want to be adrift at sea without knowing where we're going how we're going to get there all of those things we need to understand why is this so important what is the why of discipleship? And I could say it this way. The, the why of discipleship is, is glorifying God by becoming like Jesus. That is what our, our intention should be. That, that is the, the reason that we disciple. When we focus upon discipleship not merely because we want to be a, uh, a manufacturing plant of Christians— the church exists in order to worship and glorify God, not merely churn out people who've prayed the prayer. And we have to, to see and remember that, that God's goal in us, He saved us so that He could make us like His Son, Jesus. Romans 8 Verses 28 and 29 say this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we we can't lose sight of God's goal for us is to be like Jesus. That is our desire as well. What is God's goal? And then as we instruct others, we're, we're teaching them to obey, but we should have the, the same goal that, that God has. If God's goal is to make us like Christ, as we disciple and pour into others, what should be our goal? To encourage them to be like Christ. So and this is gets really practical. So, parents, as you as you shepherd and disciple your kids, what should be your goal? To get them to be obedient? To, to get them to respect you, to uh, get them into that really good college that will cost you a lot of money. No, th- that's, that can't be our goal. Our, our goal is to point them to Christ, to shepherd and disciple them with a heart for, towards them becoming like Jesus. And Paul said it uh, in, in this way in Colossians 1, verse 28. He says, Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Or in in other places, he says this in Galatians 3, he talked about longing to see Christ formed in the Galatians. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, the NASB translates it this way But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. And a sincere faith that is what we are striving for as we disciple, as we teach others and and in all of this, as we teach as we disciple others, we, we long to see them become more like Christ, and, and we aim for for heart transformation, and not just information but transformation, and in all of this, God gets the glory because when we as Christians look more and more like Christ, what does that communicate? It communicates who we belong to. What's remarkable is if you, if you look around the room at the, the families, you can kind of piece together who belongs to who. Not just in their physical appearance, but, but over time as, uh, as kids grow, and they grow so fast, don't they? Uh, they begin to mimic their parents, which is also kind of sobering. Uh, And and over time, those kids begin to act just like their parents act, their habits, their mannerisms. There's some things that Lincoln says nowadays, I'm like, that is totally my wife. And sometimes they're like, oh, that's totally me. Uh, And and it's, it's sobering to see that. And so what should be taking place as we grow as disciples and as we disciple others, the world around us should be seeing and saying, wow, that person belongs to jesus right they they should be seeing and recognizing who we belong to what family we are in and when that happens god gets the glory And, and so we must remember that as our why that we are discipling because we long for god to be glorified as we become more and more like his son That's the why of our discipleship. And if we forget that, then our discipleship really just becomes lifeless and legalistic. We just begin to to go through the motions and everything becomes a checkbox. Rather than, no, we are moving towards Christ and we long to be with him and like him. And so as we focus upon the instructions of Christ, the do this and don't do that, we are now under the law of Christ as Christians. We focus upon the instructions of Christ, but we cannot forget the good news about Christ. Does that make sense? That that in the Bible, the instructions are perfect, but the good news is better. Okay? That that as as we disciple, we don't lose sight of the gospel, of what is true. We say, hey, now we're called to do this and do this and do this, but we don't ever move beyond what Christ has done for us. We cling to that good news of the gospel that Christ has saved us, and now we we long to be like him because we have been forgiven and reconciled to a holy God. That must be the very heart of our discipleship, and it's the very reason for our discipleship. But then, if that is the the why of our Christian discipleship— Glorifying God by becoming like Jesus. How do we tangibly go about fulfilling that goal? That, that leads us to the how of discipleship. Okay? And, and the how of discipleship is, is something that is known as the ordinary means of grace. And, and turn with me back over to what we read in our Scripture reading for communion. Acts chapter 2. You see that the how of discipleship. If we really want to know how do we as disciples grow and follow Jesus and how do we as disciples teach others to follow Jesus, let's just look at what the initial disciples, the apostles, did, right? They did some very ordinary things that are reproducible, again, across people at all times and in all places. We grow as disciples, and we are able to disciple others through the ordinary means of grace. And some of you may be familiar with that term, and some of you may not. So I'll I'll explain it. The means of grace are the various ways that God uses to bring blessing uh, into our lives, to strengthen our faith, and to cultivate spiritual growth in us. These ordinary means of grace. And if you If you look with me at Acts chapter 2, what we're going to see is the the means of grace at work in the early church. If you look at verses 14 to 36, we're going to see evangelism. We're going to see the apostle Peter doing what Jesus told him to do. Uh, And he's going to be proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done. Then in verses 37 to 41, Jesus—or, uh, Now, after Peter's sermon, the audience says this. Now, when they had heard this, they, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, "Save yourselves from this crooked generation." And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter preaches, evangelizes, and then all of those who come to faith, they begin to grow, and they begin to grow as disciples through baptism. The very first command that we are given if we are going to to be a disciple of Christ is be baptized. Baptism is a way that we grow. And then, as we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're really going to see five other ways that we grow as Christians. Ordinary means of grace. What did the, the early believers devote themselves to? Because they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and what did the apostles teach They taught from scripture they taught from the old testament so the early church devoted themselves to the word of god they also devoted themselves as we talked about and celebrated earlier to the breaking of bread to the to fellowship and to the prayers that they, they worshiped they they prayed they, they spent time with one another talking about spiritual things and how they Applied and how they needed it to, to change and transform their lives. So we see all of these ordinary means of grace, evangelism, baptism, the word of God, the Lord's table, prayer, worship, fellowship. And then what were the results? Just look at me, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sounds like a thriving and growing church, doesn't it? And what were they focused upon? They devoted themselves to those basic things, and God worked through those basic things. Another aspect of the, the ordinary means of grace, if you just look over with me in Acts chapter 5, see another aspect of, of life in the church is church discipline. And for the sake of time, we, we won't read through uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, but you'll see the very first instances of, of confrontation and discipline in the early church. And what was amazing, if you just jump to verse 11 in Acts chapter 5, what was the result of church discipline in the early church? It says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And, and the church began to, and continued to grow. And if you look at, at church discipline in Matthew 18, really it's the idea of church restoration. If there's something between you and, and someone else or your brother's sin, what are we commanded to do? To, to go and, and speak into that person's life. And the goal is to, to win your brother, as Jesus outlines it. That's, that's what should be taking place, and that is our desire. Again, that's a part of our Christian fellowship. And, and these are the basic ways that God works in our life to grow us as disciples. And, and these are really simple steps, not flashy, but doing them over a long period of time— or any period of time. It's really what's going to, to help us grow. But that's kind of countercultural to everything that we kind of value in our culture today, right? Fad diets and, and get rich quick schemes, those are, those are all the rage, right? Now, we, we want uh, the maximum benefit with minimal effort, but, th- but that's not how sanctification works. There, there, there are no get holy quick schemes. There's no easy button uh, that that transforms our discipleship and and just magically fast-forwards us uh, to Christian maturity. Uh, That only comes through the the ordinary means of grace. Uh, The the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. But but as we take thousands of steps, we cover a long distance. And and that is how we we must begin to, to view discipleship. And you can picture it this way. When I was a uh, football player, uh, we, we were expected to continue to, to work out even when the team didn't have any organized activities or organized workouts. And, uh, and when you arrived at summer camp, usually about this time of year, the end of July, early August, uh, you'd better be in shape because there was a conditioning test. Uh, and if you didn't pass the conditioning test, the strength and conditioning coach— was very happy to help you pass it, which was really code for you were running all day every day until you could pass that conditioning test. Uh, but, but there was no escaping working out in order to get into shape, right? You couldn't just show up to camp and say, I can just do this. If, if you took that approach, and there were guys who did, they would pay their dues Uh, And paying your dues was giving up your breakfast because you've been running so much. Uh, And and the same is true of our spiritual walk. We will not advance to maturity without laboring to grow in godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say this. Paul, writing to this young pastor, Timothy, says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And that is what we are, are called to do, right? Disciple, it's the same root word as Discipline. Now, if, we, if we are going to grow as disciples, we have to discipline ourselves to, to follow through diligently to pursue these ordinary means of grace. And God is going to work through them. And this is how we are going to grow. And uh, As a pastor and uh, seminary professor named Jared Wilson, he, he says this, and it's, it's very thought-provoking. He says, what we do in church shapes us. It doesn't just inform us or entertain us, it makes us who we are. The worship service, in other words, doesn't just cater to certain tastes, it develops certain tastes. We will eventually be conformed to the pattern of our behaviors— Most of us instinctively understand this. Habits come from character, but it works the other way around, too. That character is shaped by habits. Okay, and so he's, he's speaking about what we do as we gather all together uh, on a Sunday morning, as we gather in our corporate worship service. But the same is also going to be true when, when we gather together in our small groups. What we do in those groups as we come together, as we study God's Word, as we pray, as we seek to apply God's Word to our life, that is going to profoundly shape who we are. And those habits— of daily going to God's Word and those habits of daily turning to Him in prayer, those those habits of sharing our faith. As we build those habits, the Lord is going to use those means of grace to shape us and to transform us. And those, those ordinary means, not very exciting, but those are the basics. If you talk with anybody... Uh, who's in uh, any sports hall of fame? How did they get there? What did they do with the basics? They mastered them. They they were so good at the fundamentals. That's what led them to greatness. But oftentimes, when it when it comes to our own Christian maturity, I think we long to be mature, but we don't want to just do those ordinary small things, right? We have to to ask and and wrestle with, am I willing to grow as a disciple? Am I willing to be persistent, to to build habits into my life that will help me grow spiritually? And The early church flourished and the the gospel went forth rapidly as the, the early Christians gave their all to Christ and devoted themselves to those basic things. What we've seen is the the why of our discipleship is becoming or glorifying God by becoming like Jesus. The the how is these ordinary means of grace. And then we'll speak briefly about the what. Uh, And and the what really looks different at at every single church. But the what of discipleship at ABF is our growth groups. is that we want to, to encourage everybody to to live out, to build into their life these ordinary means of grace. That's why we do monthly Bible reading plans. That's why we encourage people to, to think about what they're reading, uh, to journal it. That's why we do the, the KFCAs, which we'll talk more about in the future. That's why we want to be intentional about evangelism with our prayer, care, share. All of these ways that we are going to, to grow really are, are going to be a part of what we are doing in our small groups. And, uh, and we do this to help there be some intentionality uh, with what we're doing and where we're going as a church. It's amazing when I right after I, I signed my scholarship papers to go play football, guess what came in the mail like a week later? Uh, weekly workout plans uh, from that week all the way up until the time when I was going to be arriving on campus in New Mexico. Uh, and, and they did that uh, to, to help set some some tracks down and say okay to make sure that you are in shape when you get to camp here's all of the workouts that you need to be doing till that point in time Uh, and and they they helped with that intentionality and that was great because that was one less thing for me to think about all i needed to do as a player was follow through the the plan that the coaches had put forward uh, and, and that's kind of similar to what we are trying to, to set up and establish for, for us all as, as a church. That, that we set up a plan for everyone to be growing and everyone to be moving forward so that we can all do those workouts and to continue to be growing spiritually. And, and the, the, the workout is not the means, or, the, or I'm sorry, it is the means, but it is not the end. And we, we can't let the workout become the end goal because then that becomes just, just legalism. It's not a, a checklist or a measuring stick, but it is to help us grow closer and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can, we can go through the motions on all of these things. You can do a workout kind of with minimal effort and not have it be of that beneficial to you. Uh, and and the, the, the goal for all of the, the how and the, the what of what we do is to make us more and more like Christ to, to, so that we all respond to that call of discipleship, to the call of Christ. And we must remember the, the why, the how, and then that trickles down to the, to the what. And we have to keep those in the proper order because if we just focus on the, the what and we lose sight of the how, we'll grow discontent. Or we'll just stop doing the, the what. you have to, to remember what we're doing and why we're doing it. And ultimately, the the call upon our life, if, if we have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, is to follow him. As we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, we are called to walk in him as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whom I've quoted before, the... German pastor and theologian who was ultimately killed by uh, the Nazis uh, during World War II, he had, wrote a classic book on this call to discipleship. And what he was seeing in the church in Germany was uh, was not a genuine call to follow Jesus. It was something completely different. But he said this, says Jesus summons men— to follow him, not as a teacher or a pattern of the good life, but as the Christ, the Son of God. And there is no road to faith or discipleship, no other road, only obedience to the call of Jesus. And that is what we are called to respond to. Of, Am I willing to, to respond in faith to this call of Jesus, to, to come after him, to deny myself, to take up my cross daily and follow Him. If I'm going to follow Him, if I'm going to be one of His disciples, I'm called to be also a disciple maker. Again, where are you in that process? Is this new for you? Have you received Christ, but you're not walking with Him? Are you growing as a disciple, but you're not pouring into anyone else. You're not making any other disciples. We have to heed and understand this call to discipleship. We have to see and understand that it's to be an integral part of our Christian life and it is to be the focus of our church. This is what we are called to do and be. This is the method of the church. This is what Christ has commanded us to do and my prayer is that this is what would be near and dear to all of our hearts. That it would resonate within us that all of us would be willing to be disciples who make other disciples. And that would be a hallmark of our church. I don't know if I've gone a little bit long uh, today. We had a song planned uh, after this, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and close this in prayer that way we can uh, just get ready for uh, our meeting, which will begin at 1230. But, but let's go to uh, the Lord in prayer and ask him to impress these things upon our hearts.